Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of the Unified Rules of Podcast. Here are your hosts, as usual, Edmund, Eric. There's nothing to talk about. Nothing happened this weekend, right? No, nothing. <laughs> nothing that wouldn't totally upset both of us at all. <laughs> nothing in relation to the last episode, either. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, are are you like you're saying that would upset both of us? You mean because of the fact that Aljo actually won, and I was kind of thinking maybe I give him a chance, and for you because your prediction was wrong. Like, what exactly are we upset about? <laughs> I think yes. A, you said something along the lines of you'd be really frustrated if this time around you cheered for Jan and then Aljo wins, which yeah. That was, I I mean, I what happened. Yeah, I did say it in our last episode where I was thinking if Aljamain Sterling actually won, I was just going to be like, damn it. Just, you know, the the thing that bothers me about this is that I can't take the win here for being all like, yeah, I predicted Aljamain and everybody thought I was crazy and all that stuff. So the only thing that I can take solace in because I predicted Jan was going to win, I can only take solace in the fact that I didn't entirely count out Aljamain Sterling. I didn't entirely count out his chances. Here's the thing. I totally counted him out, but the way he won was exactly how I predicted his game plan should go in order to win, which was... He got Jan on the ground and he kept him there for as long as he could. And he won two rounds like that. And then I guess the toss up is whether or not he won the first round of that fight. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about it is like based on what I've seen, everybody's reaction to it being it was a very close bout that it seems like the consensus is okay. Rounds two and three went to Aljamain and then rounds four and five went to Piotr. And then it all comes down to how you scored that round one. And honestly, that's a toss-up. That's a tough call to make. I mean, I didn't realize how closely contested or how much of a controversial decision it was upon watching it at first. Yeah. I don't even think that first round was that much of a toss-up, in my opinion. Uh You could argue he didn't do enough damage to Jan. But you could argue the same thing that Jan didn't do enough damage to him. So here's so wait, wait, wait. Right when you said that, you're saying that you don't think the first round was that much of a toss-up. So that leads to the question. Who did you, Edmund, score round one for? I got round one for Sterling. Whoa. He was just he was more active. And he landed more hits cleanly, too. And he didn't take that many shots. I I think you had to look at the stats. He had more strikes thrown and landed in that first round. Now, I mean, I'm kind of biased because I do come from like an amateur boxing background and kind of like a point sparring karate kind of background. So it's like significant strikes, quote unquote. It's kind of like... To me, unless the dude's on the floor or he's gasping for air and you really just stopped him with one hit, 
I don't think a significant strike really matters that much unless the dude's literally stopped. I went through Reddit. I went through some YouTube videos. I went through the YouTube comments. What a horrible place to be at. First of all, I didn't even know there's so many Aljo haters. Oh, yeah, dude. He's been getting a lot of shit for the last year ever since that first. Yeah. Even at my gym, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, he's such a wussy. He's not a real man. I'm like, whoa. Which, which, you know, yeah, I've never been on that Aljamain Sterling hate train. I mentioned this in the last episode or just there's a lot of people who I think it comes down to their original fight when the knee landed and they all thought Aljamain Sterling was putting on an act or he was milking it and all that stuff. And I've just, I've never, I've never been, I never had that opinion ever. I mean, to me, I'm like, do, do I think he could have done more in the first fight? Maybe, but I'm not like a hater on the guy. No, 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 but like, like, do you think that like, are you, so you don't agree with people who are saying that Aljamain basically milked that situation after he got need to get the W there. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I did count the guy out, but I don't hate him. It's just crazy. Like, I think what we recorded that episode and then after we recorded it, all the promotion for that fight was happening throughout the week. And just people at my gym were like looking on Instagram and stuff, getting hyped. And they're just like, Oh my God, look at Sterling. What a little wuss, Bobble. I'm like, geez, man. Geez, I didn't know you had so many haters, dude. Oh yeah, he he did. I mean, a lot of it I feel like is unwarranted and just I mean what 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 can I say? I mean, it's it's the mindset of the fans and all that stuff. So I've kind of always been in the know about it because I'll follow certain shows or personalities and all that stuff. And then there's all these negative comments or whenever Aljamain has a, has a interview on the live chat, it'll just be a bunch of clown emojis. I guess for me, it's different to see it in person. I guess I'm so numb to like hate comments on YouTube and Reddit that I'm just like, eh, whatever. But just to like see people in person, like watching a video of him, and just immediately saying negative stuff. I'm like, wow, you have a legion of haters. So it kind of, so in some respects, they're, they're more dedicated than your real fans, man. So it's kind of like it hits you differently because you're actually seeing people in person who are having these comments. Yeah. Okay. So here's the opinion that I have. I feel like in this fight, this time, as opposed to their first fight, Aljamain really used his grappling and I remember from our prediction episode that was one of the attributes that I thought Aljamain could really use going into that fight is his jujitsu his ground skills his grappling skills and that was a key part of this fight especially in the second round the third round he just and I, I've seen some videos assessing the fight they're talking about how Aljamain did a really good job this time taking the back and controlling him from there. Here's my point of view on it. I think he understood with Jan's very significant takedown defense 
that he couldn't just take him down by normal conventional means. By that, yeah, and by that you mean like shooting, grabbing the legs, pulling him in, and throwing him down on the mat. You're talking about that. Yeah, like okay. if you watch that fight, he just any opportunity he got, he just clamped down and stuck to Jan like, as they say, white on rice. Yeah, and he just stayed glued to him until they just somehow fell on the floor and then he just dominated from that position there using his limbs and everything. it was it was ugly it looked dirty but you know what for a guy who's gonna stuff any other normal takedown attempt yeah that's what you gotta do man and he did it yeah yeah i mean it's interesting because i don't know maybe i'm kind of thinking about it with hindsight i will give that disclaimer basically that I may be saying this just out of hindsight, but maybe this was the thing that Aljamain Sterling wanted to do in their first fight. And just something that I kind of thought about was Aljamain using his ground game more than he did. Like basically he used it more so in this fight than he did in their first fight. And I just, I think it's kind of one of those things where like, okay, he's actually utilizing what he wanted to and that was like something i was thinking about when this matchup was first announced yeah i'm gonna have to re-watch that first fight again but if i had to guess just having that experience being in the cage with jan and realizing your conventional takedown methods will not work was a great benefit to sterling just having that experience from the first fight Yep. I'll also say, man, big props to him for just having his conditioning way up there. Does this make you rethink the whole not having a proper meal reasoning that Aljamain was saying, like why he was so tired in their first fight? I still think that's like a bullshit excuse. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Like one meal to me, like, I'm one to skip breakfast usually just because I wake up early to open up a gym and all that. Yeah. And then I still work out afterwards. And then I usually don't eat until around lunch hour, like noon or one o'clock or something. I mean, I have. Even if I skip that, even if I skip that, I can probably go another hour or two before I'm just kind of irritated, but I can still physically kind of perform. So, yeah, to me, that's just kind of. I mean, I I, I don't buy it. I didn't buy it, and I still don't buy it. But definitely, I didn't think you did. He definitely worked on his conditioning. He definitely knew. Oh God, this is the level I have to be at. And I'm glad he took the year to really focus on his deficiencies, and then he came back a stronger fighter. Yeah, I mean, I had a feeling that that wasn't going to change your mind. I just thought, jokingly asking, like, okay, well, then that proves that his reasoning for that is true, and. The thing that I'm impressed by is just how Aljamain was able to actually implement the things that he's good at in this fight to get the upper hand. I mean, honestly, there was a point in the second or third round when he had the body triangle on Pyotr Jan, and there was a moment where I was thinking Aljamain is going to submit him, or is Aljamain going to submit Pyotr Jan? And it was just this... I mean, ultimately, it didn't happen, but as I'm seeing it, 
not knowing what was going to happen, it created this, oh my God, this is actually happening sort of thing. You know, that's, that's just what I'm thinking. Are you kidding me? He's about to sub him. Or just how crazy it would be if Aljamain submitted Piotr Jan. Yeah, I, I definitely got that sense. And I also got the sense that Jan was kind of in, I guess, uncharted territory. Yeah. It's just rare for someone to just have total control of him for that long. Yeah, I ground, mean, that's the thing the about back. it. It was significant enough that people noticed because the thing about Piotr Jan is that he's known for taking a few rounds to adjust and get himself acclimated and all that stuff. But what sort of awed people or just made them sort of take notice or just what really shocked people about this was that not only was Piotr Jan not in control or it was a toss-up and a back and forth the early rounds, but at some moments he was really behind. He was being really controlled. That's something we're not used to. So I guess it's one of those things like, yeah, he takes a round or takes a few rounds to get himself adjusted. We're used to seeing that, but we're not seeing him being dominated. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but to try to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, it's like, yeah, he took some rounds off. He's done that. He's never been dominated in those first two or three rounds before. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. And to his credit for getting the last two rounds in, Jan, I mean, for yeah. taking control again in rounds four and five, to have that willpower and drive to keep going at that steady pace, still props to him. And honestly... I think Aljamain could have put up more of a fight in those last two rounds. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was truly kind of tired or if he was trying to play it a little safer by not being as aggressive on the last two rounds, but maybe that's something that he can improve on in his future fights and career. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I will say I, I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because that was one of the things that I thought of too that I wanted to bring up. Credit, and it, to, to bounce off what you're saying, credit to Piotr Jan that he was able to adjust and take back control, win rounds four and five. Credit to him for doing that and that he was able to do that despite the difficulty of the situation especially from the first three rounds where in some cases, maybe some people will argue that he was being dominated. And I think that just shows Piotr Jan's greatness. Here's the thing about it. And basically what I'm getting at is that because this fight has happened and Aljamain won, I'm not of the opinion that, oh, Piotr Jan sucks now. If anything, I view this experience as this just shows how great he is because Despite struggling in the early rounds, despite Aljamain having back control for so long and to be overwhelmed in a way that we've never seen it, to have that resolve, to have the resources, not just his fighting skills, but also the mentality to take back control of those last two rounds, that is a championship mentality and that is an elite level fighter mentality. So I think Jan needs to be credited for that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Because, I mean, I just, I just admire that resolve or that switch that he was able to do. And 
that's not something you'd always see in fighters. And also, because Piotr Jan was able to do that stuff, I think it just cements his reputation for, okay, I may struggle or take a little bit of time to get adjusted to the situation, but then later on he takes over. Piotr Jan did that this fight, like he always does. It's just this time was different because the first three rounds were more challenging and less successful for Piotr Jan, or it's just that it was in a more dominant fashion. <laughs> you got nothing to say to that. You're just like, all right. No, I'm totally on the same page. Yeah, I mean, like, basically, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't make me think, oh, now if they were to fight for a third time, I'm like, oh, yeah, Aljamain's going to destroy Piotr Jan or all that shit. Like, I'm not, I'm not in that camp. At this point, though, now I would be very confused about who to pick in a third fight. I might go Aljamain Sterling, to be honest, just if, if they were to fight for a third time. But, well, no, no, you, it seems like you got something to say. I don't want a third fight. Not no, right no, no, now, no. I'm not. No, no. Here's the thing. I'm not saying that they have a third fight. I like. I don't think they should have a third fight right now. But I'm saying that in the future, if they do have a third fight, I may go with Aljamain Sterling. Whether that's in a year from now and Piotr gets a couple wins under his belt and all that stuff, I don't know. I may just go with Aljamain. But knowing my luck, I'll pick Aljamain, and then Piotr is gonna win. For me, I I'd have to see where we're at. If they ever do the trilogy, I could see it happening, but people are saying who's next for Sterling, I guess. Is he going to fight TJ Dillashaw or where does he go from here? Yeah. Which I mean, and I think, I think that makes the most sense because if you look at the rankings at Bantamweight, TJ Dillashaw and Jose Aldo, those are the two highest ranked guys in the division who are coming off wins because in the top five or something like that. There's Corey Sanhagen, but he's coming off a loss. He just fought Piotr Jan, and everybody else is either ranked below or they're coming off losses. Well, I think they've both both men have fought Corey Sanhagen and beaten him. Yeah, but also Corey Sanhagen's coming off a loss, so why would you put Sterling Sanhagen after this? Right. And then, yeah... Man, I guess everybody's beaten Sandhagen. Oh. Like, not everybody, but I mean, like, TJ, Peter Jan, and Sterling. Well, in in his defense, the Jan and Dillashaw ones were very closely contested. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing that I feel like people forgot about Aljamain Sterling, is that they forget about how he did against Corey Sandhagen, or they forget about all the other things that he did prior to the Jan bouts that... Just really, people were sleeping on him. Sorry. What? Sorry. Oh, so, okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't hear you. But you know, one thing that I will, one thing that I will say is that, basically, to kind of backtrack a little bit, what I'm talking about, where, yeah, I should have, maybe I should have gone with Sterling. After the fact, I was thinking to myself, it was sort of like with UFC 261 last year, where with the Rose Zhang fight, I was on the fence, but then ultimately I picked Wiley Zhang. I was thinking about picking Rose going into it, but then I went with Zhang, and then when Rose won, I was just thinking, I knew I should have picked Rose. <laughs> well, it's like, 
I don't know. It, it, it's hard to predict, especially when someone hasn't fought in like a year. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to predict where they're at. Are they trading? Are they not training? Did they just maintain? Did they completely transform? You know, that's a year is like a long time. And I don't think you should feel bad or be like disappointed just because there's so many unknowns in terms of where Sterling was at. And for me, I was purely basing it off his results from last year's fight. Yeah. And for me, I was just assuming, okay, he's still training in fairly the same fashion as he did before. I didn't know, okay, that he definitely worked a lot more on his conditioning that he totally just changed his game plan up on how he was going to take Purity Yan to the ground. Just because stuff like what Sterling did in this fight, I don't think you really see that a lot from like people who are wrestlers or like jujitsu experts. What what is he just literally hugged? Pyotr Jan and just took his time until he like rolled him to the floor. That's what it felt like. Or or he took any 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 sort of like slip up in Jan's game to immediately clinch and just drag them down to the floor any means he could. You know what I mean? It didn't look like he went for takedowns, you know, like his takedowns almost looked like a white belt jujitsu competition where no mm-hmm. one really knows how to take someone down and people just kind of roll onto the floor or someone pulls a guard. Not not to say Sterling doesn't know how to do takedowns or anything, but they were just like ugly and very unconventional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I feel like you rarely see that from someone who has a lot of grappling experience at this high level. Oh, okay. Now, now I understand. You mean like having that kind of like frenetic takedown attempt. You don't see that high level grapplers and all that stuff. Yeah. Like all of his takedowns almost look like white belt jujitsu tournament moves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Not to take anything away from him. Now I understand. Yeah. But they were just ugly takedowns. And you know what? They got the job done because I think he understood this guy knows how to defend against conventional takedowns. I need to just stick on him and get him down any means necessary. Yeah, well, here's one thing that I want to add. Some, you know, some of your analysis, I'm going to give you credit, Edmund. Some of the things that you're saying is like exactly on point with some of these analysis videos that I'm looking at. So props to you for that both before the fight and then after the fight. Some of the things that you're talking about is exactly what these analysts or people like that are saying. So one thing that I did want to mention was one of the videos that I was looking at to to assess the fight was Luke Thomas, his channel or the Morning Combat channel that he's a part of. And that was a thing that he noted was that in this fight, instead of going for the traditional takedown, the routes that he took was that he created scrambles or created situations where there was a scramble. And from there, Aljamain Sterling would take his back. And honestly, I think 
I mean, that was a key difference in this fight, and that's really along the lines of what you're saying right here. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened. And I, mean, I don't I, – I feel like – I'm just thinking, can you intentionally create a scramble, though? And I guess you could, because I kind of did that when I did jujitsu. Mm -hmm. And he, he also points to... out he also points out an example where Habib did that against Justin Gaethje. Mm. So I think I think it's like one of those things where like you just I don't I don't know I don't even know if it's along the same lines, but like you throw a fake and the person reacts, and because they're reacting or they juke a little bit, from there you can do something else yeah i mean i might I, have to watch another replay but definitely being in unconventional positions also creates scramble like moments mm -hmm. like i remember there's one where like he kind of like faded back from one of yon's strikes and then immediately just rushed in and just grabbed him almost like a street fight video where like two people don't know how to fight. <laughs> like that's how he closed his ground. That's how he closed the distance to get in on Piotr Jan. And it's like, you don't see that at such a high professional level. You know, it, it's almost like when you're at such a high level, you get that drilled out of you because it's reckless. It's dumb. And then you end up in this weird position where it's like, okay, now what do you do? You just, have a hold of the guy but you didn't set up a takedown or anything mm -hmm. but i think he kind of understood it's like okay you can't really use conventional takedown techniques on someone with an 89 percent takedown defense you know oh wait i think i think i understand what you're getting if he's having 89 percent takedown defense and it's from a traditional sense it's like he knows how to do it when you go in for a conventional takedown so do something unconventional so then it creates this confusion and he can't defend it yeah oh okay. yeah. It, yeah it's like have you ever sparred or rolled with someone who is just completely new yeah i mean i and yeah. they're just a spaz you know you're just like i don't know what the hell this guy's gonna do just because he's so new he's gonna like squirm and like thrash and be crazy yeah or or you grapple with the people who like are just using pure strength to exactly advance or stuff like that where it's you know that'll carry them to a certain you know that'll, that'll carry them to a certain level like eventually that's not going to work for them but like right when they start if they're significantly stronger than you they just fucking power right. their way into stuff and at the very least they'll catch you off guard not to say i'm like amazing or anything but i remember when i first started jujitsu i'd thrash and like be spazzy and you know what? Sometimes I'd like freak out a higher level belt and somehow get a sweep like that. Yeah. So not to say like Alderman Sterling's using like white belt level tactics against Jan and it worked, but in a way, yeah, he did because. Well, I, I think, I think it might be a little more appropriate to say that he's skillful enough how to make smart, unconventional scrambles or basically create chaos but he knows what he's doing yeah I, I think that was it he created chaos and then he took advantage in like, the midst of that chaos 
like I, I guess I can best describe it like and and forgive me I don't know if this is really applicable or if this makes sense but for instance when I back when I was doing jujitsu sometimes what I would do is that if someone was in my guard I would go for a kimura and as they're defending that use that as an opportunity for a guillotine choke right along the same lines but I think it's even more like frenetic and chaotic like that right it's almost like if a white belt tried to take down a black belt and then he ended up in a weird scramble position and then suddenly he turned into like a metal tournament winning freestyle wrestler in that instance and got control of that weird situation you know know? yeah and honestly this just having this conversation really makes me think about the finesse in the technique and just how much of a mental strategy MMA can really be. I think that's something that gets lost on people because we're breaking down all this stuff as far as unconventional takedowns and all that stuff. And damn, it just, it just, it's such an intellectual conversation. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we have the luxury of sitting back and watching, but for these guys to like do that under pressure and in the moment, well yeah yeah especially i mean that's uh, i mean being on the biggest stage with the most elite individuals where everybody's watching and just you know it's in the moment as it's happening i mean shit dude so here's one thing that i kind of wanted to mention yes there were intangibles going into this rematch because we didn't know what would happen with aljamain sterling or how he would be and all that stuff But here's the thing that I'm bringing up, and I don't know if you have the same thought. Once again, watching the the morning combat channels or listening to Luke Thomas talk about this this fight, it made me wonder this. And I think there are honestly some intangibles going into a third fight if it ever happens, because there are two things to consider about this rematch. One, was Piotr Jan fighting too aggressively in round one, where he was... Some people have thought like, okay, he was fighting differently than he usually does, or was he fighting angry? And then the other thing is that I don't think he had his normal coaches here for this fight. So could that have affected him in some way? Could that have impacted his strategy in any way? So it's like to beg the question, if he fights more normally or how he normally does and he has his coaches with him for the third fight, is that going to lead to a different outcome? To the first point, I didn't really notice anything different. I don't even think he was being too aggressive in the first round. I think he could have been more aggressive in the first round, but that's just his style where he just kind of works at a steady, consistent pace throughout the whole fight. So, Mm -hmm. Because, again, in my book, Alderman Sterling won that first round because he landed more strikes. He outstruck to Jan, which means he deserves that round. So the forward movement that Piotr Jan did in round one, because there wasn't like a whole lot of strikes on his part and Aljamain did, that's why you gave Aljamain the first round? Yeah, I mean, sure, he was moving forward, but it was, he wasn't... It, it's kind of it's kind of like what people say as far as 
forward movement without any offense doesn't mean much. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because if you're moving forward and being aggressive, there's no way Aljamain would have like outstruck you. There wasn't pressure behind it. He was just trying to like quarter him, but he wasn't really threatening him. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's why I, I feel like Sterling got the better of the exchanges in that first round. To the second point of him not having his normal coaches, I don't know actually. I I really don't know. I I didn't I didn't really get into too much of like the background of this fight in terms yeah. of like their training camps or how they're training. Just because, I'll be honest, I you mean, thought it was just gonna be Peter yeah, Jan. I I thought it'd be Peter Jan, pretty much dominating most of this. Turns out I was wrong. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I need to look into that then because I know there was some issue, I guess, because Peter Jan is Russian. And, you know, with this current state of world events, the war in Ukraine and Russia's involvement on that. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he couldn't even get most of his team with him because there's probably travel restrictions or like, some sort of weird sanctions or some weird legal red tape or loophole or something that prevented his team from fully supporting him. So, yeah, I mean, that I'd have to look into because I really don't know. You know, there's a part of me that's really thinking, Edmund. What a storyline this fight or this series of bouts or with these individuals, it has been. Because think about it. And, and some of this is related to our history with the podcast. We did a prediction episode on UFC 259, which was their first fight. That was a fun back and forth episode, and we debated and all that stuff. It ended the way it did with the illegal knee and all the stuff about that. Then we do an episode before the rematch, and then there's a little bit more of a storyline with not only not having his coaches that I just mentioned, but also with the judge's decision and with what basically people have different opinions. Some people think Jan won that fight. Some people thought Sterling won. It's just, I don't know. It just seems like it's become such a storyline and there's a little bit of a personal touch with the history of our podcast with it. It's just, it's just interesting how it's kind of continuing Hey man, if if you're right, it's, with these chances and with our fate like this, we're probably gonna guess the the rematch totally wrong. Then you know. I mean, I have, I have, I don't know. I may just go full blown Sterling to be honest, because now I've seen what he can do, and just all right. I the the we just we don't have just the first fight as a sample size anymore. That's not the only indicator. That's not the only thing we have to look at. We have all this other stuff. And just, I don't know. I, I, I'll admit, yeah. I, you know, ultimately picked Piotr Jan, but I didn't fully think that Aljamain was just going to get smashed. There was one moment where Piotr Jan, remember what I said, he had Alj. Remember what I said in the prediction episode? There might be a moment where he has Aljamain Sterling up against the cage he has one knee on the mat and he was up against the cage. And that's kind of what happened. Piotr Jan had him there. And I almost feel like he didn't throw a knee because 
he didn't want to run the risk of having the same problem as last time. So there was one of those moments. I feel like we've talked a lot about the Sterling uh, Yan bow. There was like not a whole lot of things that I wanted to say about the other bouts, but there were like a few things that I kind of wanted to share. I don't know. I guess maybe just really quick because I don't have a whole lot to say about this. The Volkanovsky Chansung Young fight. It was pretty, I don't know, at least to me, how the fight turned out was pretty academic. And it basically went the way we thought it would. And it, it was just a clinic by Volkanovsky. Yeah, I mean, to just have a TKO when the guy's not even down, that's how dominant, like... I don't think I, that was a bad stoppage. I think it was no, good that, that was not a bad stoppage. And four. I, yeah, I, I feel like you rarely see that in MMA, where like the ref just stops a fight when both fighters are still standing. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just because like they saw how he was at the end of round three, so right. it's like it didn't seem like he was going to put up much more of an offense. He had no signs of it, and it's like Volkanovski, he's really at the top of the elite fighters maybe he's even going to be considered a a, a goat but yeah. there there was honestly there was no there was no reason to let that bout continue there was like no recognizable good sign from korean zombies part that would kind of make him win yeah i mean props to him for just grinding it out and staying on his feet but yeah it, that was really a dominant performance by Volkanovsky. I have like some Korean friends who watch that fight and they're just totally disappointed just because the man's almost like a national hero in Korea. Yeah. But I mean like people who are in the know of MMA would know that Korean zombie winning that bow was very unlikely. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how much these people that you're talking about follow MMA, but just, if you looked at Volkanovsky, I mean, his chances were not good. Or his chances were... Oh, you're talking about Korean I'm ta- Zombie. Yeah, I'm talking about Korean Zombie, yeah. I mean, anything can happen in MMA, but it was very unlikely going in, and then obviously after the fact, yeah, that didn't happen. I mean, it's just... Volkanovsky, he's on another level. He's yeah, I mean, honestly, really, it almost really looked like a veteran person at the gym just wanted to spar some newbie and just totally dominated him the entire time that's what it almost looked like which is kind of interesting because that was basically what i heard luke thomas say something along those lines as far as like a very skilled boxer and someone who's not at their level and all that stuff and sorry were you gonna say something yeah, I almost feel like I'm plagiarizing, but I swear I no, haven't no, seen no, no, any no, of these no, no, YouTube here's videos, the, no, no, man. No, here's the thing. We're not plagiarizing because we're giving credit to this stuff. We're giving I have honest to God, I have not seen any of the YouTube videos. Hey, I know, uh, except I for like the you. highlights. Yeah. Highlights and recap clips. That's mm-hmm. all I've seen so far. You know? Hey, I believe you. You know? <laughs> that's why that's why it's important I give the credit so that people don't think that I'm plagiarizing. That's so crazy. I mean, but 
I, I feel like I if everybody's saying that, it, it's clear as day. Right, right. I mean, happened. it's just when you look at the skills that Alex Volkanovsky has, the camp he's a part of, how he fights, Korean Zombie had a very tall mountain to climb. Yeah. It was just two people on two, like, almost different planes of existence. It's Wow. That's a powerful way to put it. But, I mean, it's... It's but wanted, it's true. But it's like yeah. Volkanovsky was so dominant. He won every round, no questions. He shut down any offense that was Korean Zombie even tried to put up. And he finished him while they were both on his feet. Like, I've only seen that in, like, you know, boxing usually. Yeah. And, you know, they do that because, yeah, the other dude's just standing there being like a walk-in punching bag well like is it does it also happen more often in boxing because in boxing all you can do is punch so if you're getting if you're getting worked on and you're getting hit a lot okay you're obviously not doing it with boxing so what else can you do or there's no reason to let the fight continue in yeah. mma in mma if you're getting hit on the feet you can try to take it to the ground basically what i'm getting at is that is it because with boxing, it's just boxing, you see that more often? And, like, there's no I other I feel option. like, yes. And also, like, if you're out on your feet, you're just, like, out, but you can still somehow stand. There's no option of going to the ground like in MMA, you know? I, I feel like we see a lot of finishes on the ground in MMA because there's that option to take that fight to the ground. Yeah, and just or, totally you know, finish it there. Somebody will fall to the floor, and then the person follows them, and all that. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. And here we have a case where they kept it on standing. They kept it on the feet, and he was out on his feet. I I feel like that's just so rare in MMA. I I'm trying to even think if I've ever seen that in MMA. Because I know in boxing and some some kickboxing organizations, they have the standing eight count where the ref can stop and count you out while you're still standing. I don't think such a rule exists in MMA. So just to even see this happen, to me, it's like a nice little treat. You know, it's like, whoa, when's the next time I'm going to see this again? Never, I don't know, maybe... Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. Fuck it. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> but the point is, it's like, it, it's such a different sport. And usually when people are just out, like say you knock someone out on their feet, like quote unquote knocked out, but they're just not very responsive on their feet in MMA, you'll probably use that opportunity to take them to the floor. Yeah. Or land a really significant strike on their leg or their body to get them on the floor and just go on top and finish him. Yeah, yeah. And here, it was just Korean Zombie didn't go down, so they had to finish it on their feet, which is Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it was just like, it was just really a matter of like, they saw what had happened, and they saw that he wasn't in the best shape or that he wasn't looking too good. So early in the fourth round, they're thinking, okay, there's just going to be more of this. Like, that. okay, that's enough. And yeah. honestly, MMA could use more... I guess, the, I don't know. I guess the, there's there's a tendency in mixed martial arts to have guys go out on their shield and just be 
completely battered before they actually wave off the fight. Fighters could benefit from stoppages that happen before we get to that point, basically. Yeah. I think this was a good stoppage. Yeah, um, I got no problem with it. <laughs> I mean... Speaking it, of bats, I'm like, imagine if Mario Yamasaki ref this fight. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Now, now, here's the question about Volkanovsky. As far as where he goes from here, now... I'll say this. I was talking with some people on Twitter and figuring out, okay, what's the next fight? Or just, it, 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 I, I don't remember exactly how I got into it, but I was talking with one Twitter user as far as who should be next for Alex. In my opinion, I think it's Max Holloway. And the reason why I think that is because the performance that he had against Calvin Cater He's on a two-fight win streak, which, you know, at least he's coming off wins and stuff like that. And honestly, I feel like Max is the only guy who can give Volkanovski a run for his money. Yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of like one of those things where we saw what he did against Calvin Cater, and it's like you can't do anything other than give him a title fight because he's so much better than the rest of the division. He's definitely the best or one of the best in his division right now just because he's got the boxing down, as you could see from his previous fights last year. And, yeah, I, I think that'd be a great, really technical striking matchup between the two. Just like the sterling Yon fight was on this card, if it goes to a decision, that might be a difficult fight to judge. Yeah, I mean, I know they fought before. I'd have to rewatch those fights. Uh, they were, Holloway I mean, like, if you remember when we were talking about Fight Island, we were talking about how the the scoring for Volkanovski Holloway 2 was really all over the place. So, I mean, and that's just because they're that skilled. And also, you have to consider, if you remember, Max Holloway was supposed to have that fight, but he was injured, so that's why Korean Zombie was in it. So it's like they were going to do the third fight with Max Holloway anyway, so why not try to get back on track with that? Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, they defended it against Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, and just now the Korean Zombie. Yeah, why not? I mean, at I mean, this point, some, I mean, got... like, uh, I guess I'll throw this in there that there's some people who think perhaps Arnold Allen should get a shot at it because he's on a nine fight win streak in the UFC and 11 overall. So there are some people who are throwing him in there, but like, in my opinion, I'm not sure if Arnold Allen would put up much of a, would, would put up much of a fighter offense against Volkanovsky. I think really only Max is the only one who I could conceivably see giving Volkanovsky problems. Yeah. Okay. And then the last thing, I mean, I don't have a ton of things to say about the Gilbert Burns Hamzat Shemaya fight. I mean, I will say just to kind of start things out, it was a very competitive bout and it was an entertaining fight. At least in my opinion, I think it was entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, because, it... because, because it's not like Hamzat just bulldoze gilbert burns he he put up a fight man honestly it's not surprising to me that it was competitive because 
and this kind of extends to my other point as far as basically there's a lot of criticism on Hamzat Shemaev because he went to a decision or struggled against Gilbert Burns. Here's the thing with me. I did not have that criticism for one second. And I don't have that criticism because it doesn't surprise me that the fight was competitive. As we've seen over the last two years, when he beat Damian Maya and then eventually fought Kamaru for the title, coming off that win against Stephen Thompson, what we saw here in this bout with Shemaev, Gilbert's a high-ranking welterweight. He has these legit skills. He showcased that over the last couple of years. He's a former title challenger. I mean, he fought Kamaru Usman, who people thought, yeah, maybe Gilbert can do it and actually win the welterweight title. So it's like, given those factors, and because Shemaev was taking such a step up in competition, it's no surprise to me that, yeah, there was a little bit of... It was a little bit tougher. The, the, it was a tougher challenge for him, but that doesn't mean that just because he struggled or I guess what I'm getting at is that just because Hamzat didn't just destroy and obliterate Gilbert Burns, that doesn't mean he's not good. Gilbert's one of the best welterweights, so it makes sense why it was back and forth. Yeah, and he's like a veteran of the sport too. At this point, it's He's got tricks up his sleeve to survive against tough opponents. I don't, it just, it, I, I mean, it, I, I expected the dominant performance, but you know, you know, people saying like he should have done more to totally steamroll through. I'm like, come on, man. Like that's not giving enough credit to Gilbert Burns in my opinion. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about it is that I think a lot of people, and this is the thing about MMA fans and, basically what I was going to get at as far as their sort of perception, not everyone, but a lot of them based on what you see where people are like, Oh, I'm disappointed in Hamzad and all that stuff. It's like, guys, Gilbert is the real deal and you need to put some respect behind him. And just, you know, it's not like he's, he's not a slouch. I mean, I don't know. It's like, and if you fight a guy who's like in the top five or whatever, it will, to to transition basically to transition from the people that Hamza was fighting before this to make a jump to someone who's like in the top five, top three, whatever it is at welterweight. Yeah, that's gonna be a tougher fight. There was a post on Twitter where they were saying he took more shots in this bout than in any other UFC fight that he's ever had. But the thing is, when you're taking that step up in competition, of course you're gonna get hit more. I don't know. I don't know. Just... Basically, basically, my point is that there needs to be some respect to Gilbert's name. Yeah. I mean, obviously, especially in this day and age, there's going to be a lot of like Monday night quarterback. And it's. Yeah. I mean, I don't it's know. Like... I guess I guess it just kind of showcases how like, I don't know how much of a hard critic fans can be or just in some ways how forgetful they can be because it's like, okay you're only as good as your last fight. They see that this fight was more of a challenge for Hamzat, so all of a sudden now he sucks. Or overrated, or whatever word you want to use for that. I get it. I mean, especially with the way the sport is right now, there's a lot of casual fans. 
it's in the mainstream spotlight and with the way they're promoting it, it's you're gonna get a lot of casual fans just coming in and doing like a quick Google or a quick YouTube or Instagram highlight reel search. And every fighter is gonna be judged, like you said, on the performance of their last fight or how cool or how good their highlight reel is going to look like and i guess that's one of the cons of mma being more mainstream and bigger there's definitely going to be a lot more casual fans who are going to be a lot more critical on the fighters which sucks but in the bigger picture i guess more people get to enjoy the sport that is true, but I just, I don't know. I just wish that the fandom wouldn't be so oh, short-sighted yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah. Just, just be a little more aware of like a person's past or something. But I don't know. Maybe that's something that you only get from being a dedicated fan to the sport and following it for so long. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. Because I, I feel like a lot of these these people who are like the loudest critics or who make the most noise on Twitter or write the most hateful YouTube comments ever are, are just, they're just probably not the most dedicated fans mm -hmm. or they're fairly newer to the sport or maybe they're younger and they think that these fighters owe them something or whatever. It's just, yeah, I, I, I say, feel like I that's going to happen. I will say, Edmund, you are bringing up an interesting perspective that I didn't think about as far as, okay, it's not just, okay, the mentality of people. It's like the society we live in as far as just looking up highlights or you see all this impressive shit that they do and you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's my expectation every time or just newer fans. Like, that's something I hadn't really, like, considered or thought about. So, well, yeah, you know. because I'm like that for basketball or football. Yeah. <laughs> Like the Super Bowl is happening. I'm like, uh, I better Google these guys and see what's up. You know, like, yeah. So then you I, I know idea. I knew LA had a football team, but growing up, LA didn't have a football team. So I was never into the NFL or football at all. Yeah. I so yeah, now it's like, oh my God, the Rams just won their first Super Bowl in god knows how many years for la <laughs> i had to look that up i was like okay what is happening here you know so yeah yeah i just feel like taking my experience with like you know basketball or the nfl like that and kind of putting that on someone who's probably into other sports or they have other interests or hobby but they're out one night and they want to watch a ufc fight with their friends I feel like that's what they're going to do. They're just going to be like, okay, who's fighting? Uh, this Korean zombie guy. Let me let me Google him. Oh, okay, cool. Who's this Kamzat guy? All right, let me Google him. Oh, he he's like crazy. Oh, they're comparing him to Khabib. Oh, that means he must be like Khabib. And then when they watch the fight, it's like, he's not Khabib? What's happening? Ah, you know. It's, yeah, I get that. It's all that. So well, I get I it. Think, uh, yeah. And I'm just trying not to let that get to me you know what i mean true true i guess i mean yeah i mean there are bigger things going on in the world but i think there should be there should be more respect on gilbert's name there should be more respect on hamzat's name just more of an understanding and just 
he still has a lot of potential and there was like totally there's something i mean honestly like there's some things that he can still improve on and he's definitely got the window to do it and i just i mean i don't know maybe it's just people's expectations or their their anticipation for this fight made them such tough critics because at least for me personally and or i actually this was really the case for everybody they were so excited for this fight because they wanted to see okay let's see how Hamzat does or you know now that he's facing off against someone who's a high level fighter let's see what he can do like uh, people it's all and they were there was talks about like on social media that the traction for this fight was more than the two title fights really yeah. wow yeah i mean and it, it delivered i thought it was an entertaining bout i mean there's a part of me that's sort of thinking am i gonna look at this as a possible fight of the year contender or a, a, a nominee or what have you i guess i'd have to watch the fight again to see and I, I don't know like it was definitely exciting but you know me when it comes to fight of the years i like fights that have all facets of mma and it grappling striking all that stuff so i guess i'd have to watch it again to see if it has enough grappling to to qualify in my book but i will say it was exciting yeah there I, was a, I totally agree there was one moment though where at the end of the second round like i thought i i felt like there was a little bit of drama in that moment or kind of thinking oh things can kind of get out of hand here or i was just i was kind of worried that i don't know that basically at the end of round two i was a little worried that there was going to be some fighting or some shots thrown after the bell because round two ends and then gilbert he pushes hamzad off of him and then Hamzad, he tries to slap Gilbert. I was just thinking, oh no. I, I, that was like a moment where I thought it could get out of control. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because I've seen the UFC 229 brawl. So now I know it's possible. But like, it's either that or the fact that it's so much more than what I usually see between two fighters at the end of the round that it just kind of stands out to me more when it's like, oh, they're pushing him off or there's still some some physical contact after the bell sounds was there like bad blood between them leading up to i'm, I'm just curious because uh, i, I didn't think, really i don't think a ton i mean i don't think there was anything like they hated each other it's just more of like that competitive sort of thing and like it seems like hamzat really has that he guess i guess he has that killer instinct a little bit like maybe a little bit more so than other fighters do and just or he has that like violent side to him, that ruthless side. That's like, yeah. When I go into these bouts, I go in here to, to, just beat my opponent, basically. So maybe that kind of rubs people the wrong way, or get you know that would kind of cause for a for a, a tense vibe. I don't know. But all in all, that was that was an entertaining fight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's UFC 273 for y'all. We hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts about the card is. You can let us know on our Instagram at Unified Rules Podcast. You can let us know on Twitter. Our username is at Unified Rules PO1. And if you have any questions, inquiries, or anything like that, you can email us. Our email address is Unified Rules Podcast at gmail.com. Take care, everybody. <laughs>